Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Show Me How Good It Gets. I'm your host, Malvika. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to part two of my conversation with the wonderful co-hosts of Loudmouth Lodkies, Sapna and Sonia. I wanted to pick this episode up with continuing the conversation of stigma in South Asian households, specifically honing in on therapy. So I think it's so important for South Asian youth and families to have discussions about their mental health struggles and learn ways to improve them. I know you guys agree with me. And South Asians seeking psychological services often feel misunderstood by healthcare providers and then get discouraged from getting further help. Also, traditional psychotherapy has been founded on really normalized versions of Western middle-class families, so those approaches to therapy will, of course, be difficult to translate across cultural barriers without appropriate modification. And then there's this whole idea of the stigma of therapy, right? Like, what will people say? The whole logia kahinga mindset coming into play again. So if you guys are comfortable with sharing, what have your own experiences been with therapy and getting help for your mental health? Yeah, this is a fantastic question because also Sonia and I have had such different experiences. <laughs> I um, need to know. You need also, to know. Also, what advice do you have for people looking for South Asian therapists? That's my other question. Ooh, okay. This is a loaded one. Oh my gosh. Wait okay. five years until I get my license. Yeah. And then <laughs> oh I'll be Oh my there. God. <laughs> my kids are going to go to you for therapy. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. I'm trying to think about how best. I think I'll, ans- I'll start to answer first with how to seek resources. And then I'll talk about a little bit about my experience. Sonia, please, please interrupt, jump in, Mal, you too. Um, But yeah, I think the first thing is um, getting in network providers. Like I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but unfortunately the reality is that therapy is so widely inaccessible and it should be more accessible. Um, But you'd be surprised there are resources out there that compile um, South Asian therapist. So what's the website, Sonia? Is it South, South Asian therapist.org? Yeah. Okay. Straightforward. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> straightforward, right? Definitely check that out. But no, Sapna makes a really good point. If you are like younger um, and you're on your parents' health insurance, this definitely comes up a lot. Yep. Um, it's very hard to, if your parents are not aware of you, you're, you wanting to get therapy, like I totally get it. So maybe it might be harder to go in network, but also going out of network, mm-hmm. you're a child or like you're young, you are not financially <laughs> independent. It's hard. Yeah. If you go to a university, most universities will have free access to their counseling center caveating mm-hmm. that with if you go to a larger university it might be harder to find um like more available spots but free access to your counseling center and if you are on um your university's health insurance your parents can't access that so if you want to find someone to talk to sooner your counseling center should and will help you find someone within your network mm-hmm. in the area. Um, so those are like definitely things that I have learned over time. Um, 
find people who are sliding scale, find people who are pay as you go. Um, if you go on psychology today, you can look by ethnicity, you can look mm-hmm. by gender, you can look by location. Like there are, it's hard, but there are resources out there to help it melt, help make it easier. And I was also going to mention, um, and I th- think this is an important point as well, uh, thinking about location. Um, again, because I'm located in LA and I was in the Bay Area, I just feel like there's a lot more access to South Asian um, therapists in those areas. So if you are in an area where you might not have that readily available um, person to go to who might look like you or think like you, um, then definitely seek out telehealth. Um, I attend therapy virtually and I think it's really helpful. Um, you just, I just like go into a quiet room at work and then just like put my headphones in and do therapy. But, um, yeah, I think that even, uh, databases like southasiantherapist.org, you can find such a wide variety of people there who have different experiences also within the South Asian diaspora. So LGBTQ, um, focused therapy or, um, there's just so many other like specific sub subgroups <laughs> or sub topics that you can look into. Um, so I think that's very important um, in terms of finding therapy. And I definitely recommend looking if you're with an institution like a university or your employer, seeing what is there, because I know my dad's work, for example, they had like a all of like the whole family gets like six free sessions, which is incredible and good enough to try out and see if you like it. Um, And the other thing that I would say about therapy is you have to try it. Like you have to try it more than once because a lot of people will do it once, have a experience with with a therapist that might not gel perfectly with them and then be like, eh, therapy's not for me. It's not helpful. Um, So definitely try out different people. Um, And then I guess that segues into finding a right therapist for us. Um, I specifically kind of like dating, right? Yes. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it, no, it really please. is like you're not gonna probably find the love of your life therapist the first time. <laughs> no, no. Like you, you probably to, won't. Yeah, you, you, you have to kind of probably go find it. an asshole the first time. <laughs> Which <laughs> Unfortunately. Is, and and Sonia, I know Sonia's story about this. So we're gonna I, I Oh, like I need to get to that story because I don't gonna, know. Yeah. Which I one? The dating one say- or the therapist one? <laughs> I need to know both, but oh my God, one time, one of my friends who she's a Desi woman and she went to this like white therapist and she was saying like, I'm having a tough time, whatever. And the white therapist was like, is it because you have to get an arranged marriage? (laughs) And she was like, have you tried yoga? (laughs) And oh my God, that's just, it's an awful story, but I would say it's helpful to find therapists too. If you're a woman, they're a woman. If you know, Mm -hmm. if you're South Asian and you want to talk about family dynamics, they are Mm -hmm. familiar with that. It's like, it's like if you're going to a nutritionist and you only eat Indian food, yeah. but they only eat white food, they won't be able to give you good nutritionist advice. I don't know. That was a bad analogy, but you I get like, what I'm well, saying. Well, no, you're right. I like how you go Indian they're... food and white food. <laughs> no, because what are you going to say? Like, hey, I eat dal roti every day. And they'll be like, dal roti? What do you mean? Like when, sir. like the, the My Fitness Pals, like where there's like literally nothing for, you know, those sort of just. It's only Trader, like, Trader Joe's Indian food. Correct. The only one that comes up on those things. <laughs> Segwaying <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot of systems are not created for diversity. Um, to to make a long story short, but personally, for me, I actually started therapy through the lens of oh, I want a South Asian therapist. So I, I think that kind of made my my pool a little smaller. Um, and then 
I went on southasiantherapist.org and found that a lot of them were not in network for me personally, or um, even with like a per session payment, it was uh, anywhere from like a hundred to $200 um, per session, which is um, not necessarily accessible to everyone. Um, but it can be if that is something pri you prioritize, which is absolutely valid. And a lot of uh, the therapists on there do have sliding scales, which is fantastic. So definitely uh, look at that resource and give it a fair shot. And I looked at it a while ago. So I'm, and I know that they're constantly updating it and there's so many amazing providers on there. So that's my first thing to say. The second thing is I then went to my, um, cause I'm still on my dad's insurance uh, where I, I'm also, I also have work insurance. It's kind of weirdly complex, but um, uh, through my dad's insurance, they had like a database of therapists and there were a few South Asian therapists on there. So um, I, when you're starting therapy, you can go on the phone with them and do a little intake, which is so incredibly awkward. I will make that clear because you kind of have to like, you're like, do I soft launch or like a hard launch my trauma right now? Like, what am I supposed to do? But anyways, you kind of test the waters out. You kind of talk about the major things that you're hoping to get out of therapy. And um, I think those little intake appointments are a good way to kind of test the waters and gauge if this person could be a good fit for you. Um, so yeah, I looked through my dad's, uh, like through the insurance, uh, that database and found someone who I thought was really cool and had specific um, experiences and like stress and anxiety, which is really helpful as someone who is in a, uh, all of us, as we mentioned, are wanting to go into academia or <laughs> all of that. So a lot of, a lot of stress and anxiety. So, um, it was helpful to find a therapist who had both the experience of like South Asian um, background and also um, stress. Cause I think that both of those manifest for me um, really intensely. So yeah, I think that was my experience. She's been great. And also someone who understands things without me having to explain it, which is really helpful. And also like things like boundary setting It is very, very different um, to set boundaries um, as a South Asian kid so Can you give us your boundaries one-on-one -on -one as a south asian kid oh like in terms of like what what is helpful yeah like as because i feel like a full cutoff from your parents is mm -hmm. not helpful or from a roommate or someone that you're like day in and day out with so what would you recommend yeah i think a lot of it is like you you have to have a little bit of communicate like there's there's a little bit of like a compromise that comes into play and also it's really, really important to feel in touch with all of the conflicting emotions you'll feel. Because in terms of boundaries, there's a lot of feeling like, oh, I want to be independent and I want to do things on my own. And then the South Asian or collectivist um, part of your identity will be like, no, but uh, this is a community. This is a person. This is a group that has given so much to me and sacrificed so much to me. And so there's a lot of conflicting feelings there of like, oh, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to figure this out on my own. And also like, oh, but XYZ person has sacrificed so much for me. So really grappling with that dynamic is really important. And also just like allowing yourself to feel all of the emotions um, and like trying to put it is what I'm saying is so easier said than done. Like, oh, just push shame away. Like, just don't worry about it. But really just not, not judging yourself for the feelings that you're having. Um, I think that's 
very important. Um, and also just doing things slowly and like trying to keep respect as a core focus of how you're approaching boundary setting. Respect, communication, and also um, like understanding that self-preservation is important um, as much as we are taught to give and give and give and give. Self-preservation is so important because you cannot, as they say, you cannot pour from an empty cup. Like you need to have enough within yourself and you have to save enough of your energy within yourself to be able to give that to others and care for others. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my, kind of my thought process. I also want to say I think therapy gives you so much like language to have boundary setting conversations, which is like probably one of the most helpful things, because sometimes even just going about that conversation can be so challenging and having someone tell you like this is okay. <laughs> yeah, but I, I want to hear your experiences with therapy, Sonia's therapy stories, which I have not heard before. I'm so excited. <laughs> so I have been in therapy since 2014. Um, so that's eight. Oh my God. Eight years. Wow. Um, yeah. So I've been in therapy since 2014, consistently since 2015. Um, I like am on my way to become a psychologist and like, I want to be a, a psychologist for people of color, specifically South Asians. Um, so I will, I will preface that before I tell my story because, um, my first therapist in 2014 was a South Asian woman and I did not have the best experience with her. Um, I went to therapy in 2014 because my parents were, um, in the process of getting a divorce and um, my mom was, you know, understanding that like I was going through a lot, which then manifested later um, in its own other ways, but wanted me to go to therapy. And I remember when my parents first told me my first reaction was, no, I'm not crazy. You're not sending me to therapy. Um, I'm not crazy. And this is like for context, this is after years of suicidal ideation and like self-harm and very clear symptoms of depression. I was like, I don't need therapy, but I didn't have words to describe all the things I just said I had. Right. And so I had to go. Um, she was, the woman was actually my parents' marriage counselor, which is already one HIPAA violation, um, which was not great. <laughs> um, so she saw me and it wasn't like a form of like family therapy. It was like her seeing me one-on-one. -on -one. And I, because partly because I knew she was seeing both my parents and the fear that like anything I said about the abuse and like the trauma from the abuse would like go back to them. Um, and partly because like she didn't create any space for me to have those conversations or reassure me that that wasn't going to happen. I didn't have conversations with her about that. All my initial conversations in therapy were about boys. And I was four, like, I was four, 15, right? So I'm like, what do I know about boys at that point? I'm like, cool. I, I like this guy. He didn't say anything to me. Oh my God. So sad. 
right? Like, which and then I went to an all girls high school <laughs> in contrast. <laughs> Correct. So that was literally like that the w- furthest thing. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have been us. Not possible. Um, and so it's like, so, so my first experience with therapy was just like not great because I was only really, to- I was basically like, it was being told to me that like my only problems could be guys, um, which is manifested in its whole other ways. Um, which is great too. Lots of stories there. But that's for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And so then this woman went on maternity leave and I didn't have a backup therapist. Um, and I had moved out of my father's home. Um, I was living with my mom, like we were having a bunch of issues. Um, lots of untreated trauma and like depression. Um, and so then went to my school counselor had a horrible experience there, um, which most people have had. Most people that I know have had horrible experiences with school counselors. And um, whether they're not adequately trained or they're just they're burnt out because they have entirely huge caseloads, there's not enough money going into this, still stands that they most people don't have good experiences. Um And then it wasn't until I was hospitalized for my suicide attempt that I was then put in mandated therapy. And so since then, I have only seen straight white cis male therapists. And as someone who advocates very, very strongly for representation in therapy and having access to a therapist that looks like you, I have really enjoyed my therapy experience with the last three have been straight white cis males. Caveating that all with that is not the experience that everyone goes through. I have been incredibly lucky and like honestly shocked that it's gone as well as it has. Um, And so my therapy experience has been like I've been an inpatient, outpatient group therapy um, like specialized group therapy, teen group therapy, and then one-on-one. And so I've been in one-on-one for a very long time. Um, and during my high school years, um, was when I had to do, I noticed I had to do a lot of like explaining, um, about how my culture interacted with my problems. Um, and even like very early on in my therapy experience, I had to do that which was a lot of like, hey, I can't just say, mom, I don't care what you're saying because I like you just can't do that. Like there's no other way for me to explain that to a white man other than I just cannot do that. And so I had to learn like my learning of boundary setting was very, very complicated. And because I was in mandated therapy for such a long time, like I had to do it with my mom. And so my mom would like there would be sessions where I'd have to bring my mom into the therapy session and we would have to talk about it with my therapist. And it was the most uncomfortable thing ever. And we would have to then and then I would have to drive home with her afterwards after we just like I had to bring up this boundary in therapy and then we have to drive home when we're both angry at each other Um So that's been really, really, that was super interesting. But I think it gave my mom a lot of perspective as to like 
what I was going through. And it's really shifted how she looks at therapy. She's a huge proponent of therapy. Um, she and I have been really good at setting boundaries. I've been living at home for the past two and a half years um, because of COVID and I've survived a large majority of it because we've learned how to set our boundaries. Um, and because of all those experiences with, um, therapy so early on. Um, but I'm now in a place where I've been seeing my last, my current therapist for since I started college. So since 2017 minus like a year because of COVID, but I've been seeing him since 2017. And I'm now in a place where I'm like, you know, I think I'm ready to close this chapter. And when I move to Boston, I want to find a South Asian therapist. and I want to try that again. Um, hopefully it's better this time <laughs> and there's no HIPAA violations. But the cool thing about therapy is, and Sapna and uh, Maul mentioned this earlier, is like when you start, it is like dating, right? You're, you have to, you're dating around um, you have to find the therapist that works for you. It is completely okay to say no if you don't like a therapist and you don't gel with them. I've had to do that once and it was the most uncomfortable thing ever. And this is coming from someone who's been in therapy for so long. And I just had to re-emphasize like emphasize for myself that it was okay because at the end of the day, I'm paying for this time. I need to be, I'm working through some of the most intimate things I need to be able to do it with someone I feel comfortable with. These therapists are not going to take offense, right? Like it's their job. Their job is to help you. And if they can't help you, then they should help you find someone that can, right? So that's one thing. The other thing, and this is something my current therapist told me, which is why I'm in such a place where I can feel comfortable ending our relationship as client and therapist, is that your therapist's job is not to treat you forever. They don't want that. The goal is for them to get you to a place where you feel comfortable to live your life where you don't have to go to therapy. Um, there's nothing wrong with continuing to go to therapy. I think you can always go to therapy and find something to work on, but it's not a lifelong contract. And it shouldn't be. And a good therapist is never going to make you feel like you are in a lifelong contract. I love that. And I think like just advocating yourself for yourself in healthcare spaces overall, we could do a whole episode about because it's so crucial. No one else is doing it for you. You have to know what is good for you and do it for yourself. And it's like the hardest, longest journey, but so worth it. And I, I actually do need to talk about this in a separate episode when it comes to birth control and side effects of medications you're taking. And it's just such a huge issue. And medication in America could be like a whole there are books about it. There are full reports <laughs> about it for a reason. Um, but any other therapy advice? I want to, I also want to talk about dating as a South Asian woman, but. Oh, heck yeah. Um, I had a fun, just, okay. Go for this it. Is super, this is so not advice. This is like not even <laughs> substantive, but like, you know, that, that scene in new girl when Schmidt is like a white man. No, <laughs> that was the audio that was going in my head when you were explaining your, your journey, um, <laughs> finding a therapist that worked for you. But that was like my point when I was talking about it earlier is you'd be surprised who you actually gel really well with. Um, so just definitely test out the waters. <laughs> yeah, test out the waters. Um, but there's a lot of power to people 
treating you who look like you. Absolutely. Okay, dating. Do you want to move to... This is when I got so many questions out and I was like, I cannot do this episode alone. I need... I need... I dated both Daisy and non-Daisy people and I have higher... I expect a lot out of people I date who are not Daisy in terms of connecting with my culture and learning about why I am the way I am in certain parts of my relationship with my parents. And um, I've been really lucky in um, the non-Daisy people I've dated. I've like wanted to learn like Hindi words and listen to Daisy music with me and like light agarbatti. And I've, I've been really lucky and I haven't had like horror stories when I know other people have. Like my friend who's on Hinge right now, every third day she gets some comment about how she's ethnic and I oh, could not deal with that. God. I'm not on dating apps. God. And we could I've... just, have you had that? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh my God. Definitely. So I have also dated Daisy and non Daisy. Um, and by non Daisy, I mean white. Um, <laughs> a white man. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's just gonna you just have to like loop that audio different but I feel parts. like yep. I feel like Sapna think like Sapna has that reaction to me and my <laughs> dating life very often so yeah so when I first started because I I when I first started dating in Philadelphia um I had gone out with like a few like white men and it was the first time I'd ever gone out with a white guy and it was just so strange to me how comfortable they all felt telling me that I was the first Indian person they had ever dated. Um, And I remember one of them was like very offended that I, he was not the first white man I had been on a date with. He was like, I just want the Priyanka Chopra to my Nick Jonas. That's all I need. And what do you mean you've you've been with other white people? I was people? like, there's so many of you. What do you mean? Why would you assume that you were the first white man that I'd ever been on a date with? There's another one that, like, I learned after going out with him that he had a fetish for Indian women, um, which I found out by other people telling me that he had o- he specifically only dated Indian women, which is, like, a weird, icky feeling for me that I was like, did you only go out with me because I was brown? Which is, like, not a thought that ever crosses any brown woman's mind. <laughs> um, and then the person that I actually dated for a while when we first started dating um he yeah he made some comment about me being exotic and I like had to shut it down real quick and I was like we're not gonna say that we're we're just not gonna do that we're we're gonna shut it down we're never gonna say that word again and we're gonna understand why that was so wrong for you to say (laughs) so that was fun I've never had any like a racist comment in a romantic setting and I'm so grateful because I don't know how I would act. I don't know if my if my little noggin could handle that and know what to say like at all. I think I like I just didn't know what to do, but I also like I was very much someone who acquiesced a lot. When I was dating people, I was very much someone who compromised way too much and so it's just those situations would come up and I was like yeah I know this is wrong but I don't know how to respond to it so I'm just gonna 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go with it. Dude, microaggressions are so real. The other day, my friend was asked if uh, if she, what, what, what was it? It was like, oh, do you like curry and do you worship cows? One, like that's all you could come up with. It's Here. not even original. It's, it's 2022, dude. At least make it good. Like if you're going to profile me, at least make it good. Two, it was like a, um, what if the answer is yes to both of them? Then what? Yeah, like yeah. Then what? I have then gotten what? a lot of if like talking to non desi people, I've gotten a lot of oh, I love Indian food, and it's like cool. Yeah. Me too. Oh, my like, God, for you, what this do is... I do with that information? Like, like I do too, but it, it's now it's weird. Like now that you <laughs> said it like that, now I feel weird. No, it's this was not in a romantic setting. I was literally at clinic and. Um, someone asked me where my parents are from and I was like oh I'm I'm of Indian heritage and they go like have you tried the Indian restaurant here and I'm like what <laughs> where how is that related but I had tried that Indian restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> you can't admit it, but you can't admit it yeah. because then you're you're confirming their beliefs <laughs> and correct. you're like, I am making a statement today, sir. <laughs> yeah, but I'm such a stereotype. Like I love curry. Indian yep. food is my favorite food. Like, oh my God. But my so going back to my roommates who I live with, who I didn't live with any um Daisy people this past year, but the they're the sweet they love Indian food so every time we went out anywhere they would look at me and go masala art and I'd be like yeah <laughs> and like we light agarbati in our home and so I've just gotten really lucky in that sense I've been thinking about this a lot because when I was a little kid and I imagined myself all grown up and married I imagined an Indian American man just like cut and dry that's what I'd seen in movies and tv shows and we didn't have a lot of like interracial dating inspo growing up. Like there were like maybe two movies total. And so I just thought that's what it was. Like both my parents were Indian. That's what happened. Like that just cut and dry what it was. And I was thinking about that recently. And that framework is completely shattered for me now. For me, it's a lot more important now to have someone who loves how in touch I am with my culture and um, will like celebrate the volley with me and will celebrate holy with me. And you know, like if I'm playing bassy music in the car, they'll, you know, be fine with it. Like all of that stuff is a lot more important to me now. And I think I could find that in any person. Um, so yeah, I've just been thinking about that a lot because we're sold such specific narratives growing up about who we're going to end up with. And often those are shattered. And now I'm seeing so many more interracial couples um, plug Bridgerton. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's phenomenal to like be able to have options, right? Yeah, for sure. And I will, I will say like, 
unfortunately, like my dating expectations of dating South Asian men has also been shattered just like out of poor experiences. (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean, it is, it is very heartwarming to see one people in our like community be so happy in their interracial marriages and relationships and seeing especially um, like one of my best friends, she's in an interracial relationship and Nabila Noor was like wonderful representation for her because she was like, because Nabila was um, so open about how long it took her parents to come around. And so my best friend is currently in the place where she's starting to get her parents to come around to um, her relationship. And she's been with this person for four or five years. And it's really heartwarming to see people our age and people in our community find that happiness and see families moving towards that. But it's also, you know, like a reminder that there are a lot of people in our community who do uphold a lot of the the like beliefs um of this the beliefs that like you should stay within certain communities and be with people in certain communities and i've i've experienced that with like people i've dated um and there are age which has been also just interesting to navigate yeah, I, I think I've been really lucky. I always forget this is so stigmatized in like Desi communities because my parents are, um, they just like want me to be with someone who I, f- I feel like respects me and I'm happy with. And they're very chill about that. So I, I feel really grateful. Um, and I hope, yeah, that's, I wanted to ask you guys what your hopes are for yourself and your own identity in five, 10 years down the line. Like, show me how good it gets. What is what is as good as it gets for you in terms of your relationship with being South Asian American? I can go first because this is a yeah. this is a surprise <laughs> question. Go um, first because that is such a good question that I need some some time to think about. I it. have okay. I have certain goals for myself that I want to reach. I want to not get my arm hair removed ever um, because, like, I think. I've been thinking about like lasering my leg hair and my armpits. This is a lot of information, but I don't want to get rid of my arm hair because I feel like I was so insecure about it growing up that it now feels like, and now I don't think about it ever at all. So I'm like, I'm not going to spend money to get rid of it. I just, I want it on me. Um, That's one thing. That's like such a niche thing, but we talked about body hair earlier. I want to um, continue celebrating traditions. I want to, um, keep speaking in Hindi and keep writing and keep reading that because that makes me, and not because I want to prove anything to anyone, but just for myself, I love that I'm able to speak and communicate. It's like one of my favorite things about me. And I feel really grateful that my parents taught me Hindi. Um, I want to um, hopefully travel back to India soon. I haven't been in four years and I used to spend all my summers there. And I think that's all like, ooh, and I want to get better at cooking Indian food. I, that's a huge, huge thing for me. Um, and I hope that I can like pass on the parts of my culture that I love to my kids one day. So probably in a while, but yeah, that is me. Um, that's just like what I want out of my relationship with being Daisy, but I'm, I'm sure I could think of a lot more if this wasn't an on-the-spot question. <laughs> now you guys go. <laughs> I love that so much. One, that's such a good question. And two... I love all of your answers 
to that. Um, I think recently someone said this to me and it made me cry and it was just like embodied everything I want to be as I grow with like my culture. Someone said that like me sharing my story was the representation they needed to see. Um, And I was just sobbing and I hope that five, 10 years, 15 years down the lane, I can continue to be that. Like that would be, that would be me fulfilling my purpose. If I could be the therapist, the psychologist, the like researcher, the like podcaster, the anything that 15 year old me needed. And I, if I could be that for other people, um, who look like me, um, I actually was, because you said speaking Hindi, I want to get, I want to speak Punjabi more often. Um, I want to be able to, I haven't written or read in Punjabi in a very long time. And yeah, I don't want to do it because I want to prove to anybody else anymore that I can do it, but more like that I feel in touch with my culture Um, and to be able to, you know, speak to people speak to like elders in Punjabi so that I can understand their stories and and really like cherish what they have to say in the language that they would like to say it in um I I want to be in a place where me do so I'm a I I say I'm a dancer and I haven't felt that way in a very long time I want to be somewhere where like, I don't have to question whether or not I'm a dancer, even if I'm not competitively dancing. Bhangra is super, super close to my heart and is such a big part of my identity and being Punjabi. And I just want it to like, I want to be able to feel that I have that as a part of me um, without having to to say like, I'm on a dance team or I won this many competitions. Um, yeah. And I, I think the last would be um, that I can incorporate, that I continue to incorporate some form of South Asian artwork um, or poetry or literature or anything in all spaces of my life because that makes me really happy. Okay. I, you guys might've seen me because we're on Zoom and I literally started writing notes because I was like, there's so much and I need to write it down and capture it. So what I've kind of like <laughs> written down, scribbled down here. Um, I think there's a bunch and I really like both of your, your examples. Cause I think that it also goes to show how different our goals are and how we want to grow, um, in our own cultures. Um, okay. So professionally I'm thinking because I, I currently am applying to med school and my goal is to be a physician. Um, I think finding ways to use my culture and leverage, um, my bicultural identity to combat, the many ways that identity shows up in healthcare um, and disparities in identity show up in healthcare. I think that's a huge goal of mine, just knowing medical mistrust is huge and like um, breaches in communication. And um, I think that's a huge professional goal of mine um, in terms of like intellectually connecting more with my culture. One, I want to learn Kannada better um, because right now I can only understand it. And I've like, I've gotten the books. I have a little app on my phone. Do I ever open it? No, 
but <laughs> I'm going to India in November, so I'm going to practice. Um, and I, I really do want to get at least a little bit more comfortable speaking the language. Um, so I think that's one. The other part of like intellectually, and I kind of mentioned this earlier. I know Sonia mentioned this too. Just knowing that in this current moment, there's a lot going on in India um, politically that I think will have long lasting implications for the way that the South Asian diaspora interacts with each other and their own culture and their peers. And so um, I think I want to learn more about um, South Asian politics and how that will affect the world. Cause I think that we're in a very pivotal moment um, in that space. Um, artistically, um, I'm thinking like same thing both of you guys said, music, movies, um, Mal mentioned this earlier, but like, not being able to understand Bollywood <laughs> movies when I watch them is weird. Like I'm always having subtitles on, so I feel like less authentic and less cool. Um, but the same thing, like I want to be able to simp to um, Arjit Singh because I know the lyrics and not just because his voice is beautiful, <laughs> like little things like that. Um, so I think that would be really cool. Um, and then I think kind of the all encompassing internally, what I want to feel is just self-assured in the fact that I will always kind of be at this middle point of um, two cultures or multiple cultures, I should say, um, and just feeling okay and feeling secure in how I interact with my cultures. I think that's the biggest thing that I would love to be able to say I can do in like five, 10, 15 years. Well, thank you both. You know how important I think goal sharing and intention setting is. I think it's so powerful, especially when done out loud. So I can't wait to reconvene in five years and see where we're at in terms of where we want it to be. And I'm sure other goals will also arise along the way. But in the meantime, to people listening, I hope you learned something or something resonated with you from these two episodes and get out there, be a loud mathlerki. And if you want to find my loud mathlerkis on the internet, follow them on Instagram and on their personal Instagrams, which I will link in the show notes. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, definitely DM them to me and I will forward them to Sonny and Sapna. And that's a wrap. Thank you guys for hanging out with me and listening to this week's episode. If you want more, follow at Show Me How Good It Gets podcast. I read all the DMs I get on there. And then my personal Instagram account is at MalvikaBot and my TikTok is at MalTalks. If you're listening on Spotify, please leave us a rating, preferably a five-star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I hope you can write us a fun little review and write us there as well. Once again, thank you guys for hanging out. See you next week. Bye-bye. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. 
The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.